Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And if you've just joined us for the first time, or if you're a returning listener, this is the Movie Club podcast where Corey and I have picked themes for every month of the year, and we uh, pick movies that one of us have not seen previously to try to thin our gap list a little bit more. Um, this month's theme is A River Runs Through It, and this was, uh, sorry, A River Runs Through Us, in parentheses, now streaming. Um, it happens that we picked all movies that were on Amazon Prime this month, but we could have picked from any streaming service. This episode we will be doing a full review of 12 Angry Men from 1957, um, but before we do that, we like to see how we've been doing and talk about what we've been watching since the last time we recorded. So, Corey, how's it going? going i'm so glad it's the weekend i didn't think i was gonna make it how are you <laughs> i am doing fairly well um you know i'm still on summer vacation uh my wife is on a mini vacation just like four days but um oh but that's nice she never takes time off yeah no she doesn't it's, although like wednesday she ended up working like 15 hours because she went to another store like up north oh hell yeah. so between travel and everything i guess she probably worked like actually like 10 hours in the store but but it was like a three hour drive there and back or something like that so um Uh. yeah so long week for her but um you know i've been uh watching some movies just uh, i'm I'm doing a movie a day basically and then i've been playing a bit of a destiny 2 with uh mike you know from top five movies listeners um and then working out at the at my local gym um, we had some uh, like appointment stuff. I got I'm getting new glasses, so I had I got my eyes checked on uh, Tuesday, and we had doctor's appointments yesterday. Um, the whole family just like you know regular routine checkup type of deal, and I had to go get some blood work done to just you know make sure I'm doing okay. Uh, the whole point of the gym is to get healthy and sustain natural life as long as possible. So that was, it's been a busy week, but at the same time, not really a whole lot. I have been uh, messing with my DVD collection, though, so that's been fun, kind of uh, realizing what I have, how many things I have duplicates of, which was more than I would have expected. Um, <laughs> it's me going through my record collection. I'm like, holy hell, I have this? Yeah, oh, God, a lot of bad. my, the duplicate situation is like from buying like multi packs of movies, you know, when there's like, oh, a four pack yeah. here, and then I'll be like, oh, I had it by itself but you know it was a part of this other package so it's okay um and then we did have two copies of dirty dancing and uh grease 2 um so at some point my wife forgot we owned it and bought a second copy is most likely what happened um they do not have i would not have had grease 2 when we met uh so it wouldn't have been that Are you and then, sure that's your favorite movie it's my wife's favorite um or at least one of hers uh she prefers it to the first really yeah she likes the first but she prefers the second one I, oh. she's the only person i've ever heard i've ever heard express that sentiment about that movie but you know taste yeah. it's all you know subjective word but um you know uh there's there's a lot of movies coming out this summer that have not been as exciting as i had hoped um I've not seen Annabelle yet, uh, the new one. I've heard mixed things on it. But, I'm going um, next week. Oh, what about yesterday? We're going tomorrow. Oh, okay, okay. Well, um, let's, I guess, uh, you know, oh, well, 
one last thing. Um, I recorded uh, the movie astrology podcast with Matt from what I watched tonight. That co. uk. Um, we did the year two thousand and five, and oh, uh, that was because the years have been randomly selected already. So we're just kind of bouncing around as it's uh, as it's been ordained by our random generator. And um, two thousand five is kind of a crappy movie year. In a lot of ways, like there's some, there's a few really great movies from it, but then there's a lot of really bad movies from it. So, it's kind of it was interesting uh, looking at that year and like just because then there's years that come around it that are really good, but just that one year, it's and even that's the year that Crash wins the Best Picture, um, which we watched for uh, for this podcast, which was like it's okay, it's not, I wouldn't ever have put it as a Best Picture you know category, but it won, so you know somebody liked it, but. Um, but by coincidence, uh, I watched a movie, um, that was from 2005 this week, and, uh, one of the movies that was nominated for some Oscars, um, neither Matt nor I had ever heard of before, or at least don't remember hearing of, but I had just finished going through my DVDs, and I own it, um, by coincidence that it was, like, uh, I have a co-worker who's an English teacher, and at some point in the last like seven years, he gave me all of his DVDs, and I gave him several novels that I didn't want anymore. Um, so we like traded our preferred forms of media, um, and that was one of the movies that he happened to give me. And it's it's in like a uh, it was a blockbuster used purchase that he had bought, but it didn't even have the original artwork. Like it was one of those where it was like the white paper with just like the printed name of the movie on it. Um, <laughs> So it was, it was like, it was pretty funny that it was brought up in our podcast. I'm like, dude, I literally have this movie. Even when I was putting it in my case, I'm like, I don't know what this is. I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's like, and it's like directed by George Clooney. Um, I can't think of what it's called, but it's 2005 George Clooney movie. So there's, it narrows it down. It's like goodbye and good luck or something like that. It's, it's four words that have good in the title, but, uh, or something like that. Um, I don't know. It was, it was pretty funny that it, I, it came up and I happened to own the movie. And interesting, Corey, because uh, I use Letterbox. I, I made a list uh, for my DVD consolidation, and uh-huh. of like my uh, one of the cases holds quite a few. Um, I I've only seen like sixty percent of the movies <laughs> that I own. Um, so you know that's why we do this podcast is to hopefully start weeding that down because I have a bunch of movies. Um, that I've purchased in some capacity or was given to me in some capacity and I've yet to, uh, to watch. Like I even realized I had uh, been given, yeah, Walmart has like those real like cheap, like scream thriller four packs and stuff like that. Like it's just (laughs) these generic one of them. Uh, three of the movies are fairly super generic, but it has the original prom night with Jamie Lee Curtis in it. (gasps) Oh, So, so I was like, cool. I didn't know I owned that. And then I have prom night two, which I do not believe has Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And then two other like, uh, janky type movie titles, but I was like, well, that's kind of cool to get, um, you know, one solid movie out of this pack that I didn't even know was in there, but, all right, I've, I've talked enough. Do you want to get into what we've been watching? Yes. Are you going first or second? First. All right. Okay, so I watched on Amazon Prime Cold Case File Season 1, mm. which I love that stuff. Um, but I was really sad because I got through it really fast, and I don't know if there was only one season made, but 
That's all I can find on Amazon, and so I was sad about that. Mm. Very solid, good show, though, and it is um, narrated by Bill Curtis, who uh, d- does a lot of narration on A&E. Um, it's an A&E show, and I just love his voice. Got it. Um, I just got done watching Monster Squad, I think from 1987. I've been meaning to watch that. It's on Prime. Yeah, I, yeah. it's on my, my um, watch list. I just haven't watched it. I didn't know it was on Prime until today, uh, ah. and I was like, "So, we, so <laughs> Bill has a pet snake, a ball, ball python, and I love her a lot, and so I will watch a movie or a show while I hold her, and I was just like, you know, going through trying to find something, and that's what I came across, but I've been meaning to watch it for a long time, too, um, and then I rewatched Juliet Naked. Ah, I almost watched that tonight. Um, I was flipping for something to just put on in the background while I was uh, playing a game, and um, mm-hmm. th- that one was I was like mm, maybe, but I ended up with uh, never going back. Uh, from I don't like that movie. Oh, well, it's not for everybody. I do. I um, I tried to watch it, and I, those girls are just so stupid. I can't see. I don't know. I feel like it w- fits like a lot of other buddy kind of pot comedies. You know, I don't it, know. I don't feel bad for you being poor and all this stuff and living in a slum i don't know uh, i i do but it's i don't think they're necessarily trying to make you feel bad because it's a it's a comedy but nonetheless um juliet naked good movie uh need to i'd like to rewatch it and i have you seen about a boy yet no because i remember i told you that's a nick hornsby book so i feel like it's, yeah and i had forgotten that juliet naked was based off of that too yeah yeah, yeah. that's why i, I was trying to sell it um, to you because it's you know we are a fan of that and I think I think you like High Fidelity right? Uh, mm, it's okay. I feel like I need to give it a rewatch, but yeah. he's such a jerk in that movie that I just want to punch him in the but face. But again, you're not supposed to, you know, like. Why he is do a jerk. I want my main character to be a d bag? I mean, I want to like he you. He learns though through the course of the film. He he does change. Like that's. You know, you don't want your your character to be perfect either. Like he's got to have some flaws. People are flawed, and you know, sometimes you're not rooting for them to succeed, and they don't always get what they want. You know, um, it just depends. I, I like diversity in my uh, protagonist uh, personality-wise. At least I I like diversity in all types, but that's harder to find. But as far as the type of protagonist, uh, they they vary. Um. I've seen a few things that I've never seen this week. I've gotten a few big movies off my gap list. Partly, as I think I've mentioned a f- probably too many times, the Blank Check podcast um, that I've become fairly obsessed with as far as like finishing miniseries and whatnot. So I'm watching both um, some Spielberg films that I've missed uh, and some and Michael Mann movies, which I've almost predominantly missed. I had not seen almost any Michael Mann movies before the beginning of summer, and I've seen several since. Um, that said... Uh, I watched Munich from 2005. That's a Spielberg film. Um, have you ever seen that one? Is that the Olympics? Well, it's not the Olympics, except it's, yes, the Olympics, because there's the 11... It's the bombing. It's not a bombing. Or uh, something. It's a terrorist it's, attack. Sh- uh, Palestinians yep. take 11 Israeli um, Olympians hostage and uh, ultimately kill them. Um, that's not really what the movie's about. That's what sets the chain of events in the movie going. Although that is depicted in the film. So it's not that it's not there, but, um... That's what I remember. And them taking over, um, 
they like it's not even hard for them to break in no no sorry not, not at trying all. to like give spoilers but it's it's not tech again that's not really the movie that's the beginning of the movie and yeah it goes from there and that even it is they don't show it all in its entirety at the beginning but it is uh you know about it like it's talked about in his sets our main character eric bana is the actor who's uh playing the main character is a um, former Mossad agent and he is uh recruited to basically head an assassination team to take out uh palestinian figures it's it's not really clear what the figures are but it's a uh, spielberg film is one of his more serious films it's definitely like a post 9 11 um kind of how do we react to terrorism type movies uh it's it's very well done um it was mostly uh not loved as far as like awards it got a few nominations but a lot were skipped um but it is it's a, if you skipped it like i had because i knew it was supposed to be like a real heavy movie and it is um and i watched it right before bed which was probably not oh. the best call i didn't have any like nightmares but it is like you kind of go to bed a little depressed um but and then uh actually i i before i watched that the day before i watched uh i rewatched the last jedi um, because I am in the uh, pop- unpopular opinion that that movie is amazing and, um, you know, too bad for the people who don't like it because it's, I, I, I like it so much. Um, but then, uh, I, Taylor and I got to go to a, an early screening of Midsummer, um, which is the new Ari Aster film. Uh, if you're not familiar with the name, Ari Aster did Hereditary last year and Midsummer is his follow-up, um, stars Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, uh, William Jackson, who, if you watch The Good Place, it's uh, Cheaty, um, which I'm a, I'm a fan of that show, at least the first two seasons. I've yet to see season three. Um, I, uh, actually, Taylor and I both really, really liked this movie. Uh, Big Tuna did not like the movie. Um, it's, it is not, like, don't go in expecting Hereditary. He's not trying to recreate what he did there. Um, just the fact that this movie takes place almost predominantly in the daytime uh, right away changes the, the, the atmosphere a bit. Um, it's crazy. If you're a fan of the old Wicker Man, uh, it's definitely a film that I think people should check out. Um, it is not going to work for everybody, though, so know that going in. I am curious to see you, what you think, Corey, of Midsummer. I'm nervous because I really liked Hereditary until last, like the last five or ten minutes. Which I still... I don't. I, I. A lot of people have issues with the ending. I did not. Um, I will say. I, I guess I'd have to like really dive into what it is you don't like about the ending, but um, we don't want to do that right now because this is not a hereditary episode. But uh, the next day, and this is a movie I should have watched forever ago, but I watched Michael Mann's The Insider from 1999. Um, big movie with uh, Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. Christopher Plummer playing Mike Wallace. It is about um, the 60-minute television series expose on the tobacco industry, uh, where they were interviewing former tobacco executive Jeffrey Wigan, uh, excuse me. And um, it's man, it's so up my alley. I'm a journalist. I love journalist movies. Um, I, I really, 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 really like this film. Um, I'm glad I, I almost just rented it, and Sean told me to just go ahead and buy it. And I'm glad I did because it's it's a movie I'm definitely going to rewatch, and I will probably um, I'm trying to figure out how, where to teach it because I really want to teach it now because I, I uh, man is not a filmmaker who's easy to show to my students, um, 
one because he makes really long movies so it's going to take like a whole week to get through it because we have like 90 minutes 90 minutes and then like 45 minutes so three hour movies are the week basically between like getting set up and starting it and everything but it's it's a film that i think it's accessible and it's man it's just really 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 compelling um have you ever seen the insider no all right no i'm sorry i thought i unmuted i'm okay guys i have not been sleeping well like for the past two weeks so i keep yawning i apologize um but no i haven't seen it but i i am interested because i really like the movie beginners with christopher Plummer. Uh, i like him i didn't realize he was in the beginners um i need to watch yeah that. he I plays have that but... ewan mcgregor's dad it's ah, great yeah he's a really good actor and he's great as mike wallace in this movie um so that was again because currently blank check is doing uh michael mann movies um the other i'm going back and i'm listening to the spielberg stuff and so i I had never seen the adventures of tintin and in fact it was a movie i didn't really know much about i didn't know tintin was uh i'm not familiar with him as a character i never read any of his comics um as a kid or anything i loved the cartoon when i was a kid i don't even i didn't even know there was a cartoon uh so there you go um, so this is gonna, have you seen The Adventures of Tintin? No, it looks weird. Okay, well, it's motion capture, so that's, uh, that's part of the reason it looks a little weird. Plus, they, they took the guy's art style and then tried to make it, um, look real if he made people, so it's kind of got a weird aesthetic, but, um, it has a really great cast. Obviously, Spielberg directs Jamie Bell, um, is Tintin, Andy Serkis is Captain Haddock, Daniel Craig is uh, the villain character. And then there are two police officers, one named Thompson and one named Thompson, um, that are uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, right? Yes. So what should have clued me in there, uh, because I had seen that they were in it, but I did not know that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish wrote the screenplay. Oh. And I am an Edgar Wright completist, so that was a check on my list that I didn't know I needed because I had no idea he had written it. Um, and then Joe Cornish, if you're not familiar with him, he directed Attack the Block. Um, and he also uh, directed this past this year's The Kid Who Would Be King. Um, and uh, he was apparently a co-writer with Edgar on Ant-Man um, that you know Edgar walked away from directing. Um, and Adam McKay, I think, direct? No, that's not right. Well, we can't think of his name, but the guy who took over, who I think did a good job, but I wish Edgar Wright's Ant-Man was what we got to see. Um, but Adventures of Tintin is interesting. I, I don't, I didn't love it, but I definitely like it, and I could see rewatching it. And it's, it's got Wright's touches uh, in the screenplay, but it's, I definitely feel like if you're familiar with the property, it means a lot more um, than maybe someone like myself, who I knew nothing. Um, then last night, uh, Kathy and I went and saw yesterday which is uh creates a series of weird sentences when you talk about this movie because you're like <laughs> like i was like I would, i'd like to go see yesterday tonight and she's like what i'm like yes exactly um, <laughs> and we went to see yesterday yesterday mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um new danny boyle film odds are if you've uh been paying attention to tv at all you've probably seen a trailer for it it's basically the premise is um a guy wakes up from a coma kind of and nobody else in the world remembers the Beatles except for him um and what do you do with that information well you know the songs that people loved and you want to be a musician 
why not use those songs and uh that's the premise it's not really what the movie is um i think what's deceptive about this film is that it's it is a danny boyle film in that he directed it um but it's written by richard curtis and richard curtis has written about time love actually bridget jones's diary um four weddings and a funeral uh notting hill um love actually which i don't i did say that already um and uh i feel like it's more in the the vein of like love actually about time um than it is uh a normal like danny boyle script it, it has a heavy interest invested in lily james's character um, and I don't, I feel like the premise is more or less just like an odd setting for a rom-com rather than like a really compelling use of the premise. Um, and it's not that it's, it's not a bad movie, but it's not as good as I was, I was expecting it to be like favorite of the summer. And it's more like, okay. That's going to be Blinded by the Light, John. We already decided this. I, I think like, Blinded by the Light's going to do what I wanted this movie to do. Three months ahead of time yeah. um and i i really i i mean this with the utmost kindness but kate mckinnon needs to be relegated to like no more than two minutes of screen time on any movie ever um she she is easily the worst part of this movie um for so it's not even necessarily her performance alone it's the character that was written for her but it does feel like she's improving, which then makes it her fault so depending on if the script had her doing what she was doing or if they just if Boyle was maybe Boyle liked it I don't know it it seems like it could have been so much better but and then Corey this is unlike me I I kind of had I was getting worried I would not have time to watch our movie club movie this week because I kept relegating other things in front of it and then like I was like oh man I don't know if Kathy's gonna because she was off today I was like I don't know if I'm gonna have time to fit it in. So I had to watch a half an hour of it on my phone on the treadmill at the gym. Ah. Uh, and then I finished the last hour, though, um, here today. Uh, that was the last thing I've watched. So we are, I think that leads us up to our review of the movie for the week, which is 12 Angry Men from 1957. We like to go through the stats of the film before we get into the actual conversation about it. Um, it is a film I picked. It's the last one for our theme this month. And um, it's one I've been trying to get to for a while because it's on the AFI Top 100 list at some point. I believe it still is on the list. The list updated not long ago. Um, the premise on IMDb reads, A jury holdout attempts to prevent a miscarriage of justice. I don't like that word. By forcing his colle uh, colleagues um, to reconsider the evidence. It has a 96 Metascore. 8.9 IMDb user score. There are only 12, uh, I think, well, mainly 12 build actors. There is a judge who has a very small scene um, at the beginning of the movie. But uh, Martin Balsam is juror number one. John Fielder is juror number two. Lee J. Cobb is juror number three. Um, oh, okay. That's why. Sorry, Matt was like, our boy Lee J. Cobb. And I was like, what is he in? And he's in The Exorcist, which is Matt's favorite movie. Um, I just love that that's his favorite movie. Yeah, it's such a... And he, he talks about it as much as he can, um, in a good way. E.G. Marshall, Jack Klugman, Edward Binns, Jack Warden, who um, I was watching him in this movie, and I'm like, he's so familiar. 
And then, because he's so much younger, and then as soon as I saw his uh, IMDb picture, I was like, oh my god, he's from Dirty Work and The Replacements, um, two comedies that I kind of like, and I can't help. Um, Henry Fonda is our main character, juror number eight, and the juror who is uh, raising the question. Joseph Sweeney's juror number nine. Ed Bagley is juror number ten. Uh, not Ed Bagley Jr., Ed Bagley. Um... George v- Vasovic, juror 11, Robert Weber, ju- juror 12, and then we have a few uh, uncredited people, like we have a security guard, well, I guess not a security bailiff, um, that is bounces in and out of the room. It's directed by Sidney Lumet, Lumet excuse me, and written by Reginald Rose. Um, I, I knew the basic premise of this film. I knew it was going to be all in one room, uh, which was going to be really cool. Um, or it could be really bad, I guess, depending on your taste, but I, I feel like, um, the way I've started approaching movies and things I like, uh, I like to see how does a filmmaker deal with something that kind of constraining, where you're not going to be able to change locations, um, frequently, and you're going to have to, how do you make it visually interesting without it just being, um, you know, either one shot or way too much rapid editing, etc. Um, Corey, why don't you start us off, what were your general thoughts of 12 Angry Men? I love, I just really love that you chose important films that, you know, and I chose Roadhouse, but anyway, um, (laughs) um, I was a little nervous because I didn't know anything about this movie. And when I read the synopsis going in to watch it, I mean, it sounds boring, but it was not boring. Yeah, not at all. Like, I didn't even think about the fact that it took place in one room the whole time. I thought that all the characters were very interesting, and there's just something about Henry Fonda. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. Yeah, I mean, I know the name, um, but yeah, other than that, I don't think I have. Um, He's in The The Grapes of Wrath, which I've never watched, but I know it's one I need to watch. I'm going to reread the book and then maybe we should like add it to a month or something because I haven't watched any of the John Steinbeck films, um, but I would love to watch it. But yeah, and I think he's in on Golden Pond, like he's in a lot of movies. I just in well-regarded yeah. movies. I just haven't watched them, but there there's just something about him that, you know, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I'm probably going to get a little mixed up talking about it, though, because we don't really learn any names except for two people mm. at the end, and they're all referred to by their juror number the whole movie, yep. so a couple of them I'm probably going to get mixed up, but I, all every single character I thought was very well fleshed out, even though we don't really get much of an idea of them outside of the setting, I guess. Yeah. No, for sure, yeah. They do um, a terrific job of giving these characters, um, you know, a, a backstory without a backstory. Like, we get a sense of who they are as people. A uh, few of them kind of tell us what they do for a living or whatever, but ultimately there is no, like, exposition. And they're not trying to because they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about this murder case, um, which I even I didn't know how the film would start. And I thought it was really interesting because we start... Um, with a tracking shot where we're just walking through the courthouse until we get to the uh, the room where the jurors ha- are hearing the final statements of the judge telling them they need to go deliberate and what their focus is. And if you have any reasonable doubt, not guilty is the verdict you must give. 
and um, we, as they get up and leave, we we end on the accused, who is a very young kid, um, and it, it just kind of lingers with him. He doesn't look angry. He doesn't look um, threatening necessarily. And I, I did I did notice a couple of the jurors as they were walking out, like look back at him, um, and that jumps into the movie. Basically, is we're we're now in the jurors' deliberation room. Um, and that's where we're going to be. There is a bathroom. So, like, w- I think one scene takes place in the bathroom. Um, but, you know, a couple characters vanished into the bathroom throughout the film. Not for very long, but they do it at points. Um, but the whole movie is going to take place in this room. And it is an interesting uh, choice. And, again, um, we don't we learn more about the trial as they're deliberating, as they're debating. And, obviously, uh, it... There, we're told that they have to have a unanimous decision, so it's 12 either four, uh, guilty verdicts or 12 non-guilty verdicts, um, and then there is a possibility of a hung jury, which would uh, require a new jury being selected and a whole new trial being held, um, so not the ideal scenario. Uh, I, I, I loved, I think, every second of this film. It was so captivating. Um, like I actually paused it a few seconds before I was done on the treadmill because I could tell like wh- uh, it was right before Fonda was about to call for a vote after he'd kind of set the bar for like where things were going to go for the rest of the movie and I was like okay this seems like it's going to be a big moment so I'm going to pause here so I can pick up and it'll boom right there and um I mean this is a film uh, it is on Criterion and so this is one I'm debating uh buying cuz I I I it's brilliant it's it's brilliantly executed it's uh a like a master class in acting for sure but even um the cinematography in the film and how it, it plays on the tension the use of close-ups the use of wide shots which uh, when we say a wide shot here it's not going to be very wide because we're in an enclosed space um but he still uh Lumet does tremendous work with this film in all uh elements the camera moves um the rule of 180 is a, a rule that states the camera would never cross a line. Like there's an imaginary line separating the, the scene uh, from one side to the other, and the camera wouldn't cross it except in this scenario because it's all in one room. The camera goes where it needs to go. Um, I I man I marveled at so many different things while watching this film. Um, even little plot points. The story is super compelling and. Uh, it's a real easy watch, um, which I, I, I always have that concern too, because I'm while I've very much matured as a movie watcher over the last several years, I still have this like embedded hesitation that older movies aren't going to click with my sensibilities. Um, it has been proven wrong time and time and time and time again. Um, but this was one that I'm like, man, I don't know if if this can be interesting enough to hold me for an hour and 36 minutes and it is so interesting 136 minutes uh or i'm sorry one hour and 36 minutes not 136 minutes um 96 minutes very different uh amount of time um it's man i probably could have watched a little longer as long as it stayed at the the kind of breakneck pacing that it was going um this is one of the few movies though I didn't take any real notes. I was just like so in it. I, I, I didn't. I don't think I needed it to. Like I feel like I, I remember everything I want to talk about because I was so like, oh my god, this is so good. But um, 
Sounds like Corey and I both liked it. Uh, at this point, we like to get into more specifics, so Corey? Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about 12 Angry Men in great detail. You can go watch it on Amazon Prime, or you can purchase it. Uh, you've been warned. Yeah, and Criterion's 50% off. Not that they need our promotion, but um, this is, again, on the Criterion Collection, so if you're a collector of physical media, uh, it's probably the way to get it. Um, it's I am... Uh, and this is one I, I don't know if I can skip not owning this because um, I definitely feel like teaching this uh, would be super easy. Um, I feel like it would be one of those movies where kids would think it's going to suck and then they would be like pulled in. And uh, the one thing I was really uh, and we are in spoilers. So, again, if you haven't watched it and you don't want spoilers, get ready to be, Stop. be upset. Yeah. Um, but like the uh, character played by Ed Bagley um is our i guess the word is racist although he doesn't specify race wait is it not ed bagley i thought it was yeah i think that you're right right. it is ed bagley juror number 10 um i'm trying to like remember how they were sitting because that's like how you can count them uh because the foreman is number one and then it works away around the table from there um and Jury number two is in stuff I've seen for sure. He's in The Odd Couple. The original True Grit, which I've not seen. Um, oh, he's in a lot of Winnie the Pooh voice acting stuff. He's Piglet! Oh, oh my god, what? he's the voice of Piglet! Oh, no wonder he sounded so freaking familiar! Yeah, he's been Piglet for a long time. Um, lots of Piglet credits. Uh, I hear it which now, too. makes sense, yeah. yeah, yeah totally. like, oh. I was thinking he, he has such a unique voice and he was like it sounds young yeah and apparently he was eddie on the golden girls at some point and i definitely saw that because i see yeah it was probably one of blanche's you know random bows um yeah uh but i i was so i so love how they wrote his racism because it's so nondescript it could be talking about anybody because he's just like you know how they are and they're like this and he is talking specifically about people in the slums um you you're never told the the race of the uh the accused um but he is clearly uh has an opinion and the way that plays out throughout the film um i think would hold up today as well like i mean it not does. in a good way that's it's a bad thing but it makes this movie relevant today because it's the type of thing you hear and um i was man just so in so many parts of this movie i feel like apply to today and for me personally um it was about a year ago i was on uh i i was summoned for jury duty and i almost got selected for a murder trial and i was i i'm very very paranoid of being in uh henry fonda's juror number eight's position of of having to argue for one side against the rest of the room because i am i have a hard time accepting anything as fact when it's clearly based on flawed circumstances like a person saying i know this it's like well how do you know that um if you like listen to or watch any kind of like true crime or like any stuff like that it's so often like witness testimony or like eyewitness accounts things like that people misremember things or when they're in stressful situations they you know it yeah or it's even just like not... there's 
Oh, he's right. Yeah, and there's a level of wanting to help where sometimes they feel like, well, if I just say this, it'll help, you know? And, and it's it comes from a good place, but it's the wrong choice, you know? Yeah, and it really bothered me watching this. I've never, knock on wood, because I really don't want to go, but I've never been on a jury. But it's like you are watching this film, and it's like these guys... And the big thing is that if there he's found guilty, it's a mandatory death sentence. Yeah, yeah, no, no chance for mercy. Uh, no, he was accused like, of killing his father. Um, yeah, and it just seems like no one else really took the gravity of that, or like understood the gravity of that. I guess. Well, a couple of them, like they totally got it, and they were still a hundred percent. He's guilty. Um, and in fact, that the movie starts with 11 of 12 jurors voting for a uh, guilty plea, uh, sorry, verdict, and juror number eight, Henry Fonda's character, is the only one who says not guilty. And so it becomes his goal uh, to convince the rest of the room uh, to either change or for them to change his mind, prove that he's guilty would be on a reasonable doubt, Um and then the third option would be a hung jury, which would ultimately, and it's said by one of the jurors, um, if this goes to a hung jury, they're going to get a new set of jurors, and those 12 will put him as guilty, because they're going to hear the same evidence we did, and you won't be there to uh, to stop it, basically. And that while there, of course, could be somebody like him... The likelihood. It's well, you hope, but I mean, think of like the way the the film sets it up. Obviously, this is it needs to be dramatic. It can't just be like it can't start off with three not guilty and and you know uh, nine guilty. It has to be one guy who refuses to to succumb to peer pressure. Because even when they vote, there's a few guys who hesitate to put their hands up at the beginning, even, and you see them kind of look around and then like feel the the everybody wants to go home. Let's just vote, you know, unless because there's I mean, there is compelling evidence. It's not like there isn't. It's not like this is a complete like 11 people who are just being complete schmucks right out of the gate. One of them is for sure. One of them had as soon as he saw who the accused was, had made his mind up that he was guilty. Um, And I think a second person, I don't know why I'm speaking cryptically, juror number um, I just uh, think it's hard to keep up with him. Well, Juror 10, who's Ed Bagley, is the racist one, or at least the discriminatory one, who, because of where the... It's the also class. Yes, yes, Classism. class system. Yes, for sure. Um, my favorite scene in the movie is when he goes on his rant. like For like the third <gasps> or fourth time, and every, every other juror stands up and turns their back to him or walks away from him, and he's left doubting everything he's ever known, essentially. Um, because he's speaking from a place of hate and doesn't understand that no one else in the room shares his point of view. Um, and it's so bothersome and it feels so out of right now. Uh, you could have that person talking about the LBGT community. You could have that person talking about any race who isn't white. And, and yet, or you could have him talking about women and it would sound like it was being written today. And that is a travesty that that's the case. But it, it does make this movie relevant today because it's something that people who are watching it are going to be disgusted by this man and then be uplifted by the rest of the room 
of other white guys. That is the biggest downside of this film. It is 12 angry white men. Um, let's, you know. Um, uh, I thought that, I mean, who, because one of the guys, I'm so bad, is, I don't know what juror number. Uh, he was juror 11, George Vos, Voskovec. Um, so uh, he's a Czech, a Czech Republic actor. Well, probably not Czech Republic, just the, it says Czech actor on IMDb. Um, but so he is from another country, but he is still a white he's man. He's an immigrant. Well, isn't he the guy who stands or says that I live in one of those neighborhoods? No, he is not. I think I'm looking. I'm not 100% here because all the pictures are like the older pictures guys. are hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it may be Edward Benz. It's, yep. it, it's four, five, or six, um, for sure. It's one of those on that side of the table. Um, six. It, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That does look like him. He's the one who says that he's from the slums, and, uh, you know, he's offended, rightfully so. Um, and I love uh, the other, the first, I think it's the first supporter of juror number eight is juror number nine, the oldest guy on the jury. Um, his name is Joseph Sweeney, the actor's name, and he's the only oh God, other this... one we get a name for, but it's not even listed on IMDb what his name was. It's killing me. He was born in 1884, guys. Yeah, he was old in this movie uh, in 57. Um, does a great job, though. I really like him. I mean, there's so many moments in this movie. I like, because uh, the... Um, uh, Lee J. Cobb's juror, who is the most angry of the jurors, um, he really, like, you know, snaps on everybody. Uh, he gets told that he'll have his lights punched out if he's not more respectful to the older guy. Um, I Man, there, there's so many cool characters. Like, uh, juror number seven is Jack Warden. Um, his character, he has baseball tickets, and that's he's, he, he's kind of a tough guy, but he... he he has a smooth game, kind of, but he's there's a, a gruffness to him and maybe a lack of intellect that he covers up with his gruffness, um, which he's called out on by a, a couple of people. But specifically, I think uh, when he changes his verdict um, from guilty to not guilty, people are like, wait, no, I want you to tell me why. Are you really do you really believe he's guilty and you're just changing to like get out of here? Or do you genuinely believe he's not guilty now? Because... I need to know that you're taking this seriously because this is the weight of this and that's you've not done jury duty and I've I've actually been summoned I think five times now holy um, hell I've only been chosen once all the way through like I made it all the way through went to go to the trial and the trial was uh, thrown out because one of the witnesses was missing um <laughs> oh my god yeah but it was it was implied to us that the the witness left like not that it was like missing missing but um either way i like to say it the way i said it because it gets that reaction every time uh, <laughs> and it's a murder case uh the one i got right? chosen for all the way through i don't remember i don't think that one was a murder it was oh, still pretty okay. bad though the one the last one i was summoned to was a murder it was a very crazy murder um and i was able i i wasn't like i don't mean it like i was able to get out but i had some conflicting issues with uh one of my responsibilities if I had been selected, that was had me discharged. But um, like, and then one time I was let go real early um, because it was uh, it involved a minor, and I have, I have, I feel like if you did something really awful to a minor, you deserve a double punishment. That's not how the law works. I think it should be like I, I as a teacher, as a parent, 
um, don't mess with kids. That's kind of my, you know, point of view. Um, and then I think one of the other ones I was just let go for like semantics. I think maybe I didn't fit the demo they were looking for or whatever, but, um, yeah, I man, every time though, I feel this weight of responsibility. Like I do take it genuinely seriously. I would, I hate missing work. So I would hate to like be gone for several days or whatever, uh, because of a case, which the murder case would have been like a two week thing. That was another reason why I was like, it was like the beginning of the school year. And I'm like, two weeks is a lot. Like, um, and it could have gone longer. Cause that was, it was like guaranteed two weeks for like the trial. And then there was sentencing afterwards, um, because it was a capital one murder case or whatever. But, um, I, t I take it very seriously. And I, I think, uh, one thing that you have to remember, I think as a juror and when you're watching this film, why they're taking it so seriously is, if you had ever gone to trial and you were falsely accused, you would want the jurors to deliberate, not to go in, vote, and walk right back out. They should really discuss and choose. Go over the evidence. Yeah, more. Because, yes, you've heard the lawyer say it, but the lawyers have an agenda. They're trying exactly. to win. Like, they are both – their goal is to convince you one thing. You have to make an educated decision who's done a better job at presenting the evidence as has been presented um, and and question the gathering of the evidence to a degree, which this movie, the the, the little things that they point out, um, and it's, again, he's not trying to prove that the kid didn't do it. He's saying, do we definitively know he did it? And based on the information and the evidence, I think the movie tries to, like, maybe push that these guys are not just like proving the reasonable doubt but they're even maybe proving that this kid's been framed they don't get into that but it's definitely pushing it i think they want us to be on the side of the non-guilty and i think they know that your general public is going to feel like there's enough evidence here to put a murderer away put them away um even though like a lot of the evidence is very sketch i the one thing that i think would really not hold up in today's courtroom scenario though is when he breaks out the the knife out of his pocket and stabs the table next to the uh, the evidence knife, or letting them just handle the knife the knife from evidence, they're just holding it. They're yeah. not even wearing gloves. Like, I assume that mate. Well, one, I don't know what like fingerprint technology would have been. I mean, obviously they could have taken prints, but I don't know if they were like that thorough. I feel like once it's at trial, though handling it's probably not as severe because it's got it has to have been tested for everything at that point you know? well but no because sometimes they like you hear about i mean in this case it went to trial but and i don't really know how it works but they'll keep evidence you know and sometimes they'll go back i knew i know at least now and recently especially for forensic testing they'll go back to pieces of evidence and retest it so i okay i don't true feel like they would just yeah i mean it is a movie but uh yeah uh, but I, I wasn't sure i'm like i don't know if that they are that loosey-goosey with it back then um i haven't gotten that far into a trial so i have not had that opportunity to hey let me play with the murder weapon um but uh when he breaks out the knife out of his pocket i'm like yeah you can't get into a courthouse with a switchblade <laughs> like no um no. you are patted down and go through metal detectors like it, it, he would have gotten in trouble for having that in modern world um I, i'm not sure if he snuck that in or what but um that was that was like my first i was like yeah that 
you can't have a knife. Like <laughs> you can't bring a knife into the courthouse. Um, Nothing felt far fetched, though. No, and they're all like going against the evidence or disproving what has been shown to them. Like even the way that the knife was supposedly held when the father was stabbed. Like I don't remember. I think down they were trying to say, which would be more like a knife, I guess, instead of like up, like a switchblade. Yeah. And uh, like I. Well, which I like that. Like when he was like, "This is how you would flip a switchblade," and I'm like, "You know what? I've never held a switchblade, but that makes so much sense to me yep. that you wouldn't like pop it open and then turn it around to stab downward. Um, you would stab upward. You would thrust with it, like a, you know. And I mean, I've seen enough movies with like knife fights with switchblades, and that's always how it's done. That doesn't make it true, of course, because movies maybe they don't know how to how it's done on the street, but. It made perfect sense to me. Um, I just realized who juror number one is, Corey, and I'm, like, losing my crap. He is... Oh, my gosh. Arbogast from freaking Psycho, and that's the detective who's trying to find Marion Crane. And I'm like, oh, my God, I knew it. The whole time I was watching, I'm like, this guy's so familiar. This guy is so familiar. What is he in? And then I, I just looked. I'm like, oh, my God, how did I not pinpoint that? Because um, I, I don't know if you know this, but Psycho is, like, one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and I've seen it several, several times because I've not only watched it for fun, but I've also taught it. So it's a movie that I'm very, very familiar with, and I'm mad at myself for not pinpointing that while I was watching 12 Angry Men. He's also in All the President's Men, which I love as well, but I've only seen that twice. So not not mad at myself for that, and he's not one of the main characters in that, I don't believe. But, man, he is a good actor. Um, there's so many great talented voice. people in this. He does. He totally I just, does. I could totally like see him just narrating stuff i mean he's passed away now but he just has such a good speaking voice for sure um they everyone in this movie basically is somebody uh, they've done stuff um outside of this film to some degree uh robert weber who is the uh, juror number 12 um was probably the most obnoxious of the jurors because he's the ad agent guy um so he was a little goofy and he had a little bit of comic relief uh, which kind of matches his filmography. Um, the other movies he's done seem to be a lot of comedies um, and some not-so-good comedies on top of that. But uh, Gosh, a lot of these actors, because like, I've been going to their IMDb pages to see if I've seen anything else, and they most of them like worked right up until the time they died. Yeah. Oh. Just kind of insane. You know, I mean, it could be for multiple reasons, I suppose. Like, maybe uh, unexpected deaths. Um, yeah. Or, you know, because these are a lot of these are character actors, so they're not going to be Only making 65. millions of dollars for their work. Mm. So they, they might have needed to work to maintain uh, their style of living, whatever that style might have been. Lavish. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I mean, you never know. It's definitely possible. Um, I... I I mean, I don't know if we have uh, anything specific we need to get into. Um, I do like how it ends uh, with the final juror kind of conceding that um, he was letting his issues with his own son kind of dictate his behavior. That um, yeah. the hostility he has with his kid is the reason why he hasn't... He was so determined. Yeah. Um, but, like, how juror number eight, he's so classy, you know, that he gets the guy's jacket, brings it to him, 
puts oh, it on. Oh, I loved that scene. It's so powerful. Like, everyone walking out in the room just kind of being empty, and them, like, this kind of... We've been literally at odds this whole time, but I don't hate you for it, and I understand where you were coming from, and I am... I almost feel like Henry Fonda's Juror Number 8 feels like I stopped you from doing a horrible thing today. You know? Exactly. I was... That's what I was thinking. Like, if these... I can't imagine how many times these people would look back on the events in their life and be glad that they had a voice of reason in there with them instead of, I don't know, just someone going along with them. Well, and, you know, I it's there is still like the mystery i guess of like well then who did kill the dad and and why was the kids like did the kid's knife like was that his knife or was it a knife that looked like his knife you know there's a lot of factors that are still suspect um it it is entirely possible the kid did kill his dad Uh, apologies um but you know like it, it didn't meet the criteria of the juror that it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt because so many of the, the evidence, you know, the the woman claiming she saw clearly when she has needs, you know, at least needs glasses. Although I do like the counter arguments made by uh, juror number three that you don't know what type of glasses she needed. Like that just because she has the indentations on her nose, those could be from sunglasses. Those could be from reading glasses. You know, you don't know what her case is, but you know there was it was still again it was doubt there was something there that we had ignored and now it's it's to us and same thing with like the landlord or whatever saying he heard and then saw the kid on the stairs and then you know doing the the time and math to figure out like no way there's no way he was able to get from his room to the door like there's so many little things like that and i i I get I was getting like I was yelling at the TV at points because I'm like how can you say you know that how can you be so sure how can you be so arrogant to believe that this is fact versus this is a bit of information presented as fact that is easily fallible or falsified and again not even necessarily maliciously but you still have to you know be quite you know question when people are like well I'm sure because how many times oh Oh, Corey, I do want one more thing I want to talk about because there is one part that really I thought was interesting because the kid was, uh, they we were told by the landlord he heard him tell, yell at his dad, I'm going to kill you. Oh, yes. And that was one of like the damning pieces of evidence like that several of the jurors were using as like their reasoning. And when he, uh, I think Juror 8 the one who's like, how many of you have said that out of anger? Like, that I'm going to kill someone or whatever, you know. And, um... Since the the rampant school shootings have taken place, uh, many schools have cracked down on students making jokes like that or saying things like that because in today's world it is very scary for someone to make a threat like that because we can't take it lightly um, because there have been too many incidents where kids were giving warning signs and no one was acknowledging them and then horrible, horrible things happen. Um, But nonetheless, it is one of those things where it's such a ubiquitous concept uh we say that so frequently and to hear that in 1957 that that was also a common expression it was not just some you know cynical teenager from 2018 doing it it is actually it's always been that we've always lashed out and said things that maybe we don't mean but we want to make a point we want to 
maybe emphasize something or maybe even intimidate um which i'm not justifying but i do think it's it's worthy of note because i felt that way too um there's that common expression in uh texting and like um tweeting like fml which is f my life and then um there was like kill me now or something was one that was like popular for a while or there was you know one of the acronyms or abbreviations or whatever and um people were like so upset like oh why do kids make jokes about this but in singing in the rain there's a character who looks at um the the movie that they're watching at the very beginning of the film and she goes um if i don't get to be like her i'll just kill myself it's like in the 50s and it's like wow people have been saying that since the 50s but now we're getting so we're taking it either too many people are taking it literal or too many people have gone through with it and we didn't we didn't acknowledge it and so now there's like this paranoia guilty thing but it is it's interesting to hear a movie from 1957 make that point that it, saying i'm going to kill you rarely is a a literal statement of intent you know it's it's most often a hyperbolic uh way of expressing our anger and i loved hearing that in this film i thought it was just a really interesting still again relevant point of view and that he finally got him to say it oh yeah yeah um oh man there are so many moments when he gets them that i was just like oh dang like you know and or like how the actors play it and like they just these little nuanced like eye raises or a little smirk like it's so it's so compelling and that's the thing too henry fonda's character while he's called some names i don't i never feel like he's trying to make anybody look stupid he's just trying to get everyone to be sure what they're voting because he can't bring himself to put this kid's life to an end with the evidence that was presented and i i am so terrified of being in that position um that is what scares me the most is that i think like this i often um will be like well you don't know that and like and people, yeah you might like, no, you believe that you can't know that it's impossible to know what you're claiming to know because you weren't there and all you are doing is taking someone's word for it and then ascribing it as a fact when in reality it is a possible fact um and that little bit of doubt would make me a, a maybe a good juror in some ways but also a very frustrating juror for everybody else because i'm going to be questioning everything um because, i would want someone like that on my jury you're right you're right but at the same time I don't know if I have the the fortitude to do what Henry Fonda's character does in this movie um, to stand your ground despite everybody else. Like, I would have been intimidated by eleven people, all who have valid reasons to want to leave to be done with this, and also, especially because at the I think at the moment Henry Fonda is only beginning to question everything. He doesn't have a firm. I feel like when he starts this, he could have been swayed if anybody had a strong argument but no one no one does everyone's arguments are so you know basic and and lacking in uh you know conviction it's ex well it's also exactly what is presented to them though they don't like yeah they don't have any like reasoning of their own yeah it's like they didn't question anything it was just like this is what they said so this is the facts and he's like right. uh, no hold on that's not how facts work guys like 
we have the ability to to question and doubt things let's let's do that let's uh let's call into question all of the evidence that was brought to us and you know and they do even they take a, a jab at the coin a point wow court appointed attorneys um which has been a kind of a trope in all legal movies and tv shows right like the court appointed ones are the people who couldn't hack it or you know you're given i i when i think of court appointed like lawyers though i think of like overworked tired yeah i don't i don't really think of them as you know but hacks or well i think the because again it's depicted that way in a lot of movies and tv but um i think where that comes in is that partly because what you're saying they are overworked because they they take in all the cases but they're also not making as much money as a lawyer who would be hired directly um yeah and so there's no real reason to take that job except that you're not getting work other like out there you could make an argument that it's people wanting to help people but you could if you had your own firm or something you could manipulate how you help clients as far as like how they pay how they make payments how much you charge um where court appointed obviously it's because i don't have another means of getting a defense attorney so you're giving me one um as a legal right but again who you get and the compatibility and of course what's i think brought up in this movie is what if he just what if he thinks he's guilty what if he immediately assumes he's guilty maybe he has the same prejudice that juror number uh 10 had you know like those are those are always possibilities when you're not getting to pick your own lawyer because you don't get to interview or ask questions now he could have requested a change in counsel um as and that's stated in this movie as well um but still like it's the kid had everything up against him and if the if juror number eight was not there to call that into question that kid's getting the death penalty and an 18 year old kid is going to be mur well murder is probably not the appropriate phrase uh executed um by the electric chair for the murder of his father which he may or may not have done and i still feel like the movie leaves that as open-ended um the jury decided there was not enough evidence to convict him of murder however that does not prove his innocence just that the uh prosecution was not able to prove his guilt and that is an important distinction that when i the jury selections that i've been in the judges really really hammer that home and make sure that you understand you're not looking for him to be proven innocent you're looking for him to either be proven guilty or not and if he's not then you must say not guilty that's why it's, they don't declare a person innocent they declare them not guilty because that's what you're trying to prove um it's still very possible they committed the crime that they're being released from but the evidence was not there to prove that they did it and that is i think an important distinction at the end of this movie is they don't they don't wrap it up in a bow we don't cut to a scene where like we find out this big conspiracy about this kid or something like we don't get that we get just this verdict for this moment and based on what we've been able to prove the kid is not guilty um do you have anything else you want to mention about 12 angry men Corey? I love the end when um, juror number ten nine nine the nine. old guy yeah oh and then juror number eight yep 
They are the only ones who exchange their name and they shake as they're walking off the steps of the courthouse. Yeah, and it's a little awkward even because like now they're like, "Hey, I'm so and so," and hey, I'm I think he says Davis. Um, yeah, I forget what the older guy. Other guys. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then he, the old guy's just like, "All right, well, see you around," and then that's it. But I mean, you can tell. I mean, when you're in that kind of intense situation, um, and it's supposed to be kind of real time. I think I don't feel like there's any fades or anything to imply that we pass time without seeing it. So I think it's supposed to be that they've deliberated for like an hour and a half. Um, but it does seem like longer. And oh, we didn't even talk about how hot it looks in that room. Stifling. Yeah, like and the, the fan won't work. The fan won't work. The windows, one of them and wouldn't open at first. Guys, I'm sorry. I can't handle like being hot. And I don't know how men wear suits like they do. Oh, Jesus. And depending on like your like your job or your career, you might have to wear them all the time that you're working. And even I think back then it was like people got dressed, you know what I mean? They I Yeah. I don't know. You wouldn't I don't think see a lot of people just running outside in some I don't Gene. think I could have lived, and I did, my, my grandma's house when I was a kid did not get central AC until, like, I was seven or eight years old. Oh, but, I lived with my grandmother, and she didn't have air, and my family didn't have AC. I don't know, like, now, especially, like, I don't know if I could live I didn't air conditioning. really have AC until I was 19, I think. Yeah, wow. I can't, I would want to murder people. Yeah, I I do not function. Not well. really, guys. In case we go, <laughs> we yeah, go on yeah. Trial. See, this is what he was but, talking about. Now but, you're on record. No, no. Um, but yeah, I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't even imagine being in that room in like a freaking sundress and not being mad well, and trying to like reason through this. You know, do the right thing. The uh, Spike Lee film is often discussed as like one of the films that looks the hottest. Like it, the movie just. Oh feels hot like and it is that's a big part of it and the the heat the temperature of the day as it gets hotter so do the uh temperaments of the characters and that is very similar in 12 angry men here um which i love seeing stuff like that because you i mean it's it's obviously you know we, we use the idea of like our blood's boiling temperatures rising to explain our anger but uh, to see it visually executed at the same time because as they get sweatier they're also getting angrier because more time has passed and they're still in this room and it's you know it's cramped and uh they're with these people they want to go home they have things they'd rather be doing they're getting hungry because they keep talking about food but like i can't imagine like trying to reason with people that and i think he does a really good job like staying cool the whole time like his temperament but i can't imagine having to be closed in a room with people like that and like you can't really leave you can go to the restroom but you've got to come right back you know what i mean yeah i don't i don't want to be around people most of what those people would say would just make me like super angry which is exactly what we see in the film and that's it's such strong depiction there there is a remake um i think it was a tv movie though for the remake uh but jack lemon is in it um who i'm often a fan of and it's a 1997 TV movie. stars George C. Scott, Jack Lemmon. Um, Whoa. 
Oh, so Jack Lemmon is in the Henry Fonda character, so that's interesting. And George C. Scott is, oh, man. Oh, I would actually really, I really, oh, it's directed by William Friedkin. What? Yeah, the who did The Exorcist. Um, Exorcist. Hey, look, it's a diverse group of people, too. Um, it's not all white guys. Uh, James Gandolfini, Tony Danza. Oh, Edward James almost. Okay, I might have to watch this. Um, hey, they, they did fit a woman in there. She is uh, Mary McDonald's and, the judge. Like, also, isn't it a thing? Because, I mean, I felt like a couple of the guys were, you know, at least one of them was not maybe originally from America. But, um, like, it isn't when you, when you go on trial, it's supposed to be a jury of your peers. Correct. That's and it, how it reads, yes. And I mean, there are men, and he's a man, but I just, I don't know. Well, it's, it's never the age, but um, that was for a long time. Like, uh, when black men would be tried, it's like, jury an peers, and it's an all-white jury. jury. It's like, um, hold on. Like, <laughs> they're not gonna, they don't like me, and that's not okay. Like, you know, they're deciding my fate, and especially in, like, the southern states during the Jim Crow laws and stuff like that, oh. it, you, you were basically just, might as well have just said it was a technicality like the yeah you're getting a fair trial in quotation marks uh you know because it is good luck buddy yeah um but i am i'm very intrigued by this tv movie which i don't usually seek out but there is one immediate thing that i notice that makes me concerned it is oh god what hour and 57 minutes meaning they add 21 minutes to this movie um and then it's a tv movie so you gotta add in commercial breaks on top of it which not for when we watch it if we watch it now um, but you'd have to, you know, assume that this movie was probably like a three hour experience well, on TV the first time around. Yeah, but maybe, well, it says it's a teleplay. I wonder if they would have, well, I don't think it's long enough for them to do that. How they do like the miniseries sometimes where it's only like three, yeah, three parts. It didn't seem like it's long enough for that, but, uh, that would have been an option, like a two night special event kind of thing. Yeah. But also, I mean, it seems like it's an updated, maybe they have different plays on the, you know, the, uh evidence i don't know oh just for the listeners if you're like me and you you're a completionist the uh, tv version is on prime oh so 12 angry men 1997 uh included with prime i just added it to my watch list um mainly because uh do you do you realize who george c scott is because that's, i love george c scott yeah that's the reason uh dr strangelove is the reason that i want to uh watch this version because i'm like oh my god he's the angry guy john the changeling i still have not watched the changeling Corey. but that's like one of my favorite movies ever and he's so great in it actually i also really want to watch the hustler but um yeah so that that made me want to watch the tv movie more than anything because i'm just like oh dude i can totally see him being that character and i want to watch that like so bad so um I I love this movie, uh, the original 1957 Twelve Angry Men. Love it. It's it's uh, it's one of those that it, the AFI list has been mainly positive. I think I, there's only been a couple that I have not enjoyed watching. Uh, this one I loved watching, and I I totally could see rewatching this. Um, it's it's so compelling and it's um, it's surprisingly still relevant, which is not it is a compliment, but it's also not. Um, but I, I loved it. Uh, Corey also loved it. It sounds like um, I'm going must see for this. Same. And I figured that was. I think that was unanimous. 
Uh, that does not a guarantee. I just want to point out, just because something's on the AFI list does not mean it's going to get a must-see rating from me. But this Just one like did. the Criterion. If it's on Criterion, doesn't mean that it's a great movie. We've made that mistake before, too. Yes, we, we trusted and then have learned that is not always the, the way to go. Um, I do, man... Um, I'm trying to get through some more of these like big gaps on my list and like so Michael Mann like I have to watch Ali uh, before the the next episode of Blank Check comes out um, that's the Will Smith playing Muhammad Ali biopic uh, and it's a movie I've, I thought I owned and found out I didn't own um, so I had to rent it but luckily I had a 99 cent rental on uh, Google Play um, so I snagged that and I'm going to watch that this weekend I think but um, I still I have like three other Michael Mann movies to watch um, I'm I'm done with Spielberg because I, I I refuse to watch War Horse. I just I just can't. Um, I don't I don't want to watch that at all. And uh, I I I started to watch the BFG like a few years like when it was in theaters, and that was the day we got robbed. And so I kind of <gasps> oh. we had to leave the beginning. Like we saw the first five minutes, and I was already really not that interested in it. And now it's associated with like one of the worst days of my adult life. So it's like. Maybe I'll just skip that. Uh, I'll listen to the episode, but I, I won't worry about spoilers and such. Um, but for Michael Mann, uh, I'm really compelled by him, and I'm I'm wanting to. You know, I love getting these movies off my list, and I have now seen I think 62 of the 100 uh, AFI list. So I'm I'm pretty close. I mean, it's still a lot of movies. That's 38 movies to go. But I think when I started like caring about that list, when I was like it made aware of it, I had only seen like. 47 or something so i've made some progress and a lot of those have been on the, this podcast we've done a few um recently and uh that kind of leads into what we need to talk about next Corey. before we wrap up completely this was the last episode for this month for this theme which means that we are bra- about to start a new month oh man oh oh i didn't realize what it was that's exciting okay um i kind of wish you would change your first one but uh oh my god well i don't i don't feel like there that's the i why did you pick it i guess is my question that's a great question i made some of these a while ago yeah i, I feel like the, it might have been because of its availability and that's no. what no no okay it has um jessica chastain in it now let me make an argument as to why that's not a good thing but i love her sometimes and sometimes. what i've seen her in sometimes Dark Phoenix, great example of bad Jessica I didn't Chastain. watch that. Oh, and you should not. Uh, I, I not. wasn't going to anyway. <laughs> um, but let's let's get into the theme. So next month, the month of July, uh, the, one of the hottest months of the year here in Florida, we're doing Howdy Partner as our theme. Uh, let me hold on. Let me get that again. Howdy Partner. Is that is that better? Is that country enough? Howdy Partner. I mean, you've lived in Florida all your life. I feel like maybe you could. Put a little more effort into it. Well, to be fair, though, Florida is not a Western state, and thus we do not have <laughs> the Western dialect. Um, nonetheless, uh, we'll fair. be watching four westerns next month. Um, again, the the premise of this show is that one of us has to have not seen them. Of the four movies I have seen, only one of them, which was Corey's second pick. Uh, here's what we'll be watching next month: um, "Woman Walks Ahead," the Jessica Chastain leading pick. Um, I feel like we should maybe be watching like the good, the bad, and the ugly or something, but it's fine. Um, I I could have picked that, but I, I went... feel like we should have. We should maybe. You know what? We're gonna change it right now. Oh, I, no. I am like gonna I switch you. my. Yeah, um... but you know, I think that because also, just trust me. Okay. Just trust me. Well, we're gonna watch Bone Tomahawk. 
Uh, first? Yeah. Okay. So, first up, Bone Tomahawk, movie I cannot wait to rewatch. I have seen it, but oh man, I cannot wait to rewatch I... it need to tell you something because i kind of feel like it's cheating but i kind of don't i've already tried to watch this movie but it like bothered me so bad in the first like few minutes that i had to turn it off yeah yeah, so so i feel like i want to watch it but well you you wouldn't have even gotten far enough to see richard jenkins yet right is that like you turned it off oh i almost I yeah. love him. I know you do. I know. And he's God. great in this movie. He's so good in this movie. He's great uh, in everything. In fact, it's got a couple of people that you love. Patrick Wilson um, is really oh. good in this movie. Oh, my God. And then uh, Kurt Ed Russell. Warren. Yeah, and Kurt Russell is phenomenal in this movie. Um, I love Bone Tomahawk. Uh, the director has had a lot of success since this. Um, he had the uh, Cell Block 99 with Vince Vaughn that got a lot of praise from some people. Some people hate it. And then uh, Dragged Across Concrete was this year's film. That um, I think it's Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. Um, he's a tough director in, a, in the sense that like his movies are not going to be easy to watch. You'll have to like kind of grimace and, and work your way through it. Um, but so we'll be starting with Bone Tomahawk now. So the next episode of this podcast will be Bone Tomahawk. Uh, we're going to follow that up with Shane. The, uh, that is the original. I don't know if they've remade that or not, but it's a film I've been meaning to watch. Um, we'll get back with you with week three momentarily. <laughs> to be decided. And then um, The Searchers is how we're going to wrap up Howdy Partner, which is another older film. I decided to go for older westerns. Um, I have, I've not watched most John Wayne movies. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually watched a full John Wayne movie. Um, and I think both of those are John Wayne, and if not, I apologize for my ignorance. But um, it is uh, westerns. When I was a kid, I never really got into Westerns. No, Shane is not John Wayne. Um, but Shane is from 1953, and I think... I feel like Shane is the one that Logan is based on. Like, Logan even references in the film, and that's why I picked it, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but The Searchers is John Wayne, for sure. Um, yeah, John Wayne, Jeffrey Hunter, 1956. Um I, uh, Westerns for a long time were just never interested me. Um, I've since, especially, I owe a lot of my love of Westerns to Red Dead Redemption, both the first game and the second game. Uh, those games opened me up severely to the Western genre, and, um, I've since found a lot of love in Westerns. Um, although a lot of the ones that I've seen are more modern, like I love True Grit, um, and I love, like, I would argue No Country for Old Men is a Western, even though it doesn't have traditional, uh, it's set now. But it, it definitely plays like a Western. Um, uh, a movie that, Corey, I know you also loved a whole lot with, um, oh man, what's the name of it? Slow West. I have not watched Slow West yet with Michael Fassbender. Oh, Is that? yeah. Um, but uh, no, the one with Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges. <gasps> oh, damn. Hell or High Water. Hell or High yes, Water. Yes, so came. good. Yes, a modern day Western. So good. Um, but then again, like I, I've, I actually... As a kid, I really like Young Guns. Have not watched it since I was a kid, but um, I, I'm missing some major westerns. Like I've still never seen Tombstone. I've never seen Unforgiven. I've never seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It's um, like I, it's like even when I was like trying to choose movies for this, it's hard for me because I kind of have that mental block of like what, is, like what of to just, think of. What yeah westerns or just like you know my grandparents watched those when I was a kid and God they were boring yeah. you know I would my favorite western Back to the Future three boom drop the mic 
love um, it. Okay. I really do. I love Back to Future 3. I think a lot of people hated on it. And as if for a long time it was my least favorite, as I've gotten older, it's become kind of my favorite of the franchise. I just I love the Western genre embedded into that, that world. Um, I love seeing Doc Brown with his sniper rifle. and Oh, man. I love that uh, movie so much. And I love the train. Um, the Time Machine train is excellent. Uh, but that's that's the episode uh we'll be back next month with howdy partner as we look through some westerns we have three of four picked Corey will be picking her second uh movie um before we record the bone tomahawk episode but if you'd like bone tomahawk is currently available on amazon prime so if you uh don't own it or don't have a way to rent it do know that it is technically a hybrid film because it is a horror western um, and it is a horror movie. As Corey mentioned, Corey is a fan of horror and was unable to make it through the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. So, you know, going in, it's it's tough. And body horror is what just gets me every time. So, yeah. there we are. And there's some messed up body horror right at the beginning. There's a scene real late in the movie that's real messed up. But um, it, it does involve, like, cannibalism, kind of. It's not a spoiler as much as it's like a warning. If you're not able to deal with that. I feel like you need, I feel like the listeners need to know that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, It's not like Raw. Uh, There was not a scene that I recall in Bone Tomahawk where I couldn't look at the screen. The cannibalism is more like implied and there's some visuals, but it's not, it's nowhere near as like the finger eating in Raw still haunts me. Like I can't unsee that ever. And um, that will always bother me. Even though I loved Raw, that particular scene, just like, ah, I had to look yeah. away. Um, I don't recall having to look away Which... in Bone Tomahawk, except maybe, like, for like, oh, that's so gross, but it wasn't, like, overwhelmingly gross. But but I've Which only if... seen it once, so I'm looking forward to watching it a second time. Perfect, okay. Because um, I, I, not only did I buy it, but I've, I've raved about that movie since I saw it, because I was just like, this is so good. Um, and Bone I'll, Tomahawk? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been talking about it for a long time now. Like well, two, you years. said you were... Oh, yeah, I know. That's why I wanted to watch it. And then it was mm-hmm. on Prime, and I was like, heck, yeah. Um, but also, you were just referencing Raw, and... Oh, yeah. If the listeners want to watch that and they have Shudder, it's on there right now. Mm, and you can then listen to our Movie Club episode of Raw. Word. Because we did that probably two years ago. I think we did it for one of the Halloween episodes. Yeah, my favorite month. All right. Well, um, Corey, where can they follow you on social media? At Corey R Star, two R's on the end. And you can follow me at Burke Reviews. And, of course, go to BurkeReviews.com to see all of our reviews um, and download our other podcasts, like Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast that I do with Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Um, it's a monthly podcast where we review the uh, movies of the month just past. Um, we always do the big four, and then we talk about anything else we saw that was released that month. Um, we'll have our uh, June episode coming out pretty soon here in July. Um, also, Corey will have a uh, what's coming and going from Netflix in July on BurkeReviews.com here soon. So if you're a subscriber to Netflix and you want to know what you need to watch because it's about to vanish or what you can now add to your uh, your queue. Is that what Netflix uses? The queue? Um, I think so. And, uh, you know, it's a quick little read and Corey gives her suggestions of what she's excited about, even though currently not subscribed to netflix but nonetheless we broke up um for the time being at least uh until stranger things season three starts in like a week so with that um thanks for listening please rate and review the podcast it helps other people find us 
And until next time, remember, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight Show's filmtastic selection of podcasts. Covering the entire movie-verse, there's something for everyone, so come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.